0: Good evening. If you want to be getting out your Bibles and turning to Haggai, go to Matthew and go back three books if you don't know where Haggai is. And if you're using a Pew Bible, I looked it up for you. as 791 in the Pew Bible. Okay, We're going to be studying the book of Haggai tonight. We've been looking at... Uh, some of the storyline of God's people after they returned from the exile and seeing uh, Ezra's life and uh, as he foretold Zerubbabel uh, and building the temple and then him beautifying it. We've seen Nehemiah. Uh, Tonight we're going to be looking at one of the prophets that God sent to His people uh, after they had returned from the exile. And if you'll notice, it's only two chapters, so... This one should be a little easier for us to get in than maybe Nehemiah, which is 13 chapters. But uh, if you remember from the book of Ezra, in the first seven chapters of Ezra, uh, we read about Zerubbabel and Joshua, or Jeshua as he's called in Ezra, Uh, coming back with all those who returned and eventually building the temple. But they ran into all kinds of roadblocks and things that hindered them from building the temple. Uh, And some of those things included the fact that it's just hard work. Uh, It's difficult to to rebuild uh, whenever it's just devastation. Right, The the temple in Jerusalem has just been utterly destroyed by the Babylonians and sat in ruins for 70 years. Uh, And they've got to clean all that mess up. But on top of that... After they built the foundation, it took them two years just to build the foundation, uh, they looked at it and said that this doesn't even compare to Solomon's temple. It's like half the size of Solomon's temple and not nearly as glorious as Solomon's temple. So they've got that going against them. And then also in Ezra chapter 4, verse 4, it says, "...the people of the land, those who were around Judah... Uh, discouraged the people of Judah and made them afraid to build and brought counselors against them to frustrate their purpose all the days of Cyrus king of Persia, even until the reign of Darius king of Persia. So not only is the work hard and not only uh, are they dealing with the fact that it's discouraging because it doesn't look like much, but also people around are telling them, you better not do that, you know, you better stop or else they're threatening the people of God uh, and trying to bribe counselors to say it's a bad idea for us to build this temple, something bad's going to happen. So they've they've received the what they've needed to build this temple. Uh, Cyrus has set the people free to return to Jerusalem for the purpose of rebuilding the temple, but they're paralyzed and unable to, to do anything to work for God. And so what does God do in response? Well, He sends Haggai and Zechariah. We even see that called out in the book of Ezra, that He sent these two prophets specifically for the purpose of getting His people back to work. So tonight we're going to look through uh, these two chapters. We're going to read it all because it's not much to read and understand what it is that that God's message is for these exiles at a time when they feel like they're paralyzed and unable to do anything uh, uh, in in working for God. Let's start out reading the first 11 verses of chapter 1. In the second year of Darius the king, in the sixth month, on the first day of the month, the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai, the prophet, to Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Thus says the Lord of hosts, The people say the time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. Then the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai, the prophet, Is it a time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses while this house lies in ruins? Now therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. You have sown much and harvested little. You eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but you never have your fill. You clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. And he who earns wages does so to put them into bags with holes. Thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Go up to the hills and bring wood and build the house that I may take pleasure in it and that I may be glorified, says the Lord. You looked for much and behold, it came to little. And when you brought it home, it blew away. Why? declares the Lord of hosts. Because of my house that lies in ruins while each of you busies himself with his own house. Therefore, the heavens above... You have withheld the dew, and the earth has withheld its produce. And I have called for a drought on the land and the hills, on the grain, the new wine, the oil, on what the ground brings forth, on man and beast, and on all their labors. So in this first section, you see a very strong rebuke coming from God. He's pointing out that the people are saying... It's not the right time for us to rebuild the temple. It just doesn't... It's not working. Now's not a good time for us to do that because of the difficulties that we're facing and they're reasonable difficulties that they're having to deal with as we talked about from Ezra. But notice how God responds. What about me? I, I brought you out of captivity and brought you into your own land just as I promised you I would do and you're failing to build my house. You're building your own house. And he says, you're making your your houses very nice and luxurious. But what about me? So he says multiple times, and you're going to see this again in this, in this book, consider your ways. Think about whether this really makes sense for, for, for you to do that. For you to start building your own houses. And consider what is happening as a result of this. Notice how he, he points out... You're not feeling satisfied. You're not getting what it is that, that you need. Even though you may be going out and doing all of this work and you're busying yourself and you're trying really hard to bring in as much as you possibly can, you're getting nothing out of that. Why is that? Why is, why is, why are you not getting anything? You're supposed to be coming into the land and I'm supposed to be blessing you. Remember the prophets? I told you I would do that. But you're not getting it. Why not? because my house lies in ruins. My house is still completely destroyed. And so He commands them to build His house. And then you keep reading in verse 12, it says, Then Zerubbabel the son of Shealtiel and Joshua the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, with all the remnant of the people, obeyed the voice of the Lord their God and the words of Haggai the prophet, as the Lord their God had sent him. And the people feared the Lord." Then Haggai, the messenger of the Lord, spoke to the people with the Lord's message. I am with you, declares the Lord. And the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and the spirit of all the remnant of the people. And they came and worked on the house of the Lord of hosts their God on the 24th day of the month in the sixth month in the second year of Darius the king. So here you see the people responding by actually doing the work, deciding to build and, and obey. At first it kind of seemed like, what are they doing? You know, they're, they're not They're not building the temple. This is 20 years has gone by since their return from captivity. And they haven't built the temple yet. And and now Haggai comes to them saying, consider your ways. And maybe they're not so bad. They're repenting. They're changing at the word of the Lord that comes to them. So we see some hope. And notice how God responds to that. He says, I am with you, declares the Lord. He gives them hope and He gives them courage. He encourages His people. He doesn't just rebuke them, but He also tells them, keep doing this, I am with you, it's going to be okay, you can do this. And He provides the people with what they need to press on. So they start building the house. And then we get to chapter 2. And it says in the seventh month, on the 21st day of the month, The word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet. Speak now to Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehoshadak, the high priest, and to all the remnant of the people, and say, Who is left among you who saw this house in its former glory? How do you see it now? Is it not as nothing in your eyes?' And in this place I will give peace, declares the Lord of hosts. So after God provides them with much encouragement to build the house, rebuking them and saying, I am with you, build. He lets them build, and they build for less than a month, and He comes and He sends His prophet in again to encourage them again, because apparently they're looking at this and starting to get discouraged again as the foundation has been laid. He says, is it not nothing in your eyes? I mean, imagine this, you've... You've seen the glory of Solomon's temple. And now you're coming back to this desolate land. And you're starting to rebuild the temple and it looks like nothing compared to Solomon's. And you've even been to Babylon and you've seen their grand temples and all the, the gods that they are worshipping and how they build these huge monuments to their gods and all these great things. And the temple of the Lord just looks like a brick Rectangle. I mean, it's, it's nothing as it's coming together. It's just a bunch of rocks, essentially. It's not covered in gold or silver or any kind of neat crafting and work that was done on the first that, that had cherubim and olive trees and all that beautiful stuff. It just looks like nothing, and the people are so discouraged by that. But notice how God responds to this. Even though it looks like nothing to you, be strong. Be strong, Zerubbabel. Be strong, Joshua. Be strong, all the people of the land. Work, and he says it again, For I am with you, declares the Lord. But then he says more than that. He adds to that. Not only is he with you, but he says, According to the covenant that I made with you when you came out of Egypt. And this is significant. You see, whenever God's people were taken away into captivity, it seemed very much like He was done with them, like He was, he was fed up with them. And, and Jeremiah said, I'm going to make a new covenant with you. The old You're not going to be able to have the relationship that we once had. But here the people come back into the land and, and God is saying, I'm, I'm going to keep that covenant with you. Here He reestablishes that kind of the, uh, covenant under Moses where they will be His people and He will be their God. And as long as they serve Him faithfully, He will provide all the blessings and do everything for them that they need. I mean, that was, that's Deuteronomy, what we've been studying uh, on Sunday night, that God wants to bless His people and wants them to be His people. And here we see God saying, I'm going to do that with you again. My spirit remains in your midst. The temple's not built yet. That's where my spirit's supposed to be in your midst, and it's already there. That encouragement from God says, I'm with you. As you're doing this work, I'm with you and helping you. And not only that, he goes on to say, uh, in a little while I'm going to shake the heavens and the earth and I'm going to pour out all kinds of treasure from all the nations on this place. And I'm going to make the latter glory of this house greater than the former glory. So God says, it may look like nothing now, but I've got something big planned for my people and for my temple. And I'm going to glorify myself. My name will be glorified in this house. I will bring it about. Uh, And the people are finding courage in these words and finding motivation as they look and they see nothing to know God is still with them desiring to be with them and to protect them from their enemies and to help them to grow and to become the nation that's even greater than what they once were. So a lot of encouragement in chapter 2 verses 1 through 9 as he mentions the recovery of the covenant of Moses. That's what these people needed to hear. And then chapter 2 verse 10, it says, on the 24th day of the ninth month, so this is... Uh, a little more than a month later, almost two months later actually. In the second year of Darius, the word of the Lord came by Haggai the prophet, thus says the Lord of hosts, ask the priests about the law. If someone carries holy meat in the fold of his garment and touches with, the, with his fold bread or stew or wine or oil or, uh, or any kind of food, does it become holy The priest answered and said, No. Then Haggai said, If someone who is unclean, by contact with a dead body, touches any of these, does it become unclean? The priest answered and said, It does become unclean. Then Haggai answered and said, So is it with this people, and with this nation before me, declares the Lord. And so with every work of their hands, and what they offer there is unclean. Now then, consider, from this day onward, before stone was placed upon stone in the temple of the Lord, how did you fare? When one came to a heap of twenty measures, but there were, there were but ten. When one came to the wine vat to draw fifty measures, there were but twenty. I struck you and all the products of your toil with blight and with mildew and with hail, yet you did not turn to me, declares the Lord. Consider from this day onward, from the twenty-fourth day of the ninth month, since the day that the foundation of the Lord's temple was laid, consider, is the seed yet in the barn? Indeed, the vine, the fig tree, the pomegranate, and the olive tree have yielded nothing. But from this day on, I will bless you. So here comes God again. Two months. Imagine they've been working for almost three months on this temple now. And here comes God and He says a parable to them to start out with. The parable is, uh, when something is holy, does it, by contacting something else, does, does the holiness transfer from one thing to another? Let's say I have a white glove. By touching the podium, does the podium become white? <laughs> no. That's not what happens. And then he comes in again and he says, now if, if someone is unclean because they've touched the, a dead body and they come in and they touch this, does it become unclean? And they say, yes, it does become unclean. It's like mud, you know, touching that white glove with mud. Now it's unclean, now it's dirty. So he's giving these basic principles that all the priests already know and he's just stating them for the people to understand Why? Well, he comes in and he says in verse 14, So it is with this people and with this nation before me, and so with every work of their hands, and what they offer there is unclean. What's he saying about the people? They're unclean, they're defiled. But they're building the temple. I mean, they're building the holy places, right? The holy place and the most holy place. They're putting all this stuff together. And here God comes in and says, everything you do is unclean. Why is He saying that? Well, the people have decided to obey the Lord. People have decided, we're going to rise up and build because God tells us to do that. We're going to do what God says because we don't want to go back into captivity. That sounds like a pretty bad idea. So they're going to obey. They're going to do what it is that God wants them to do. But God looks at them and and here He rebukes them again and says, you have not made yourself clean. You're doing the work. You're, you're, you're doing the external obedience of the commands of the things I'm telling you to do. But then you're going home and you're, you're living in uh, relationships that are with foreign women. Or you're doing all of these sinful activities that show that you're not really fulfilling the law. You're, you're acting like you're being obedient, but... You're not really being obedient from the heart. Your heart doesn't desire me so much that you are setting yourself apart to be a different people who serve me. So what's God going to do? Is He going to put a halt to the temple project and say, you've got to change your lives or else I'm not going to be with you? What's amazing here is God doesn't say that. Instead, God says, consider this. These last two and a half months, you've been working on my temple. Has that benefited you? Remember at first, you, had, you were coming and nothing was happening. Your crops were barely anything. I was blowing it all away. You had nothing. And now you've been doing all this work and you still have nothing. You see, I'm still cursing you. But from this day forth, I want you to consider. You haven't changed. But I will bless you. Here God says, you're, you're not clean. You're not any better than you were before you started working. But I'm going to bless you anyway. He makes this point that He loves them and that He wants to help them and, and to encourage them in any way He can. First of all, He's sending them all of these things against them to discipline them and to make them turn to Him and seek after Him. But they're not doing it. And now He says, you know what, I'm just going to show you my love. And I'm going to see how you respond to that. And apparently God's people did respond to that. Because in Ezra we read they did finish the temple. They did the work that needed to be done. And whenever we get to Ezra 50 years later, we see them actually hearing the law and turning and repenting of their sins and, and showing true repentance. So there is some change in their desire as all of this comes about. But let's let's read the last part in verse 20 and see what else God said. The word of the Lord came a second time to Haggai on the 24th day of the month. Now this is the same day... Sorry, I got behind on the PowerPoint. This is the same day that the last word came. The last word was on December 18th, 520 B.C. This is the same day. So he has a word for the people and now he is going to speak directly to Zerubbabel. Verse 21. Speak to Zerubbabel. "'Governor of Judah, saying, "'I am about to shake the heavens and the earth "'and to overthrow the throne of kingdoms. "'I am about to destroy the strength "'of the kingdoms of the nations "'and overthrow chariots and their riders, "'and the horses and their riders shall go down, "'every one by the sword of his brother. "'On that day,' declares the Lord of hosts, "'I will take you, O Zerubbabel, my servant,' the son of Shealtiel, declares the Lord, and make you like a signet ring, for I have chosen you, declares the Lord of hosts. In verse 20, beginning, we see God coming in with another promise. He had made the promise that I am with you according to the covenant that I made with you when I brought your people out of Egypt. He made the promise that they would once again be His people. He would be their God, even though they didn't really deserve it. And now we see Him renewing another covenant as He speaks to Zerubbabel. Notice how He, he, he brings up again, I'm about to shake the heavens and the earth, but this time He says not to bring in treasures, but to overthrow the throne of kingdoms to destroy the strength of kingdoms and nations and overthrow their chariots, their riders, their horses. Riders shall go down by the sword of his brother. Now the focus is shifting to, I'm going to destroy the kingdoms and raise up... Notice who he says, Zerubbabel, my servant. Zerubbabel, my servant, is going to be the chosen one. He says, I will make you like a signet ring. What's a signet ring? What does that mean? Well, a signet ring is a picture of approval and authority that's being handed to someone else. If the king gives you a signet ring, you have the ability to put the sign of the king, the authority of the king on a letter or something like that. And we remember the parable of the prodigal son. Whenever he comes back, he gets the robe and they put a ring on his hand. So there's an approval that's happening for the son. And here, God is saying, I am approving of you, Zerubbabel. But what's interesting about this, and why this is so significant, is because in Jeremiah chapter 22, God told Jehoiakim, the last king, to have reigned from the Davidic line. And this is what he said, As I live, I will abandon you, Jehoiakim, son of Jehoiakim, king of Judah. Even if you were the signet ring on my right hand, I will pull you off. Jehoiakim is a descendant of David. And in 2 Samuel 7, we have one of the most important covenants in the Bible where God tells David, You are going to be to me a son, and your son will be my son. And I will make sure that you have a ruler on the throne forever and ever. And he will establish the throne of David. Well, in Jehoiakim. That hope seems lost. That covenant seems ended. He has rejected Jehoiakim and he has carried him off into captivity. There is no king on the throne of Israel. And now we find out as we study a little bit more, Zerubbabel is the grandson of Jehoiakim and God has brought him in and now stated, I will make you like a signet ring for I have chosen you. The picture is... I'm renewing the covenant that I made with David. I'm still bringing in a king that will reign forever. And this is the way that he ends the book of Haggai. This is an amazing book. This is such an encouraging book. I can't stand it. I haven't studied this much before. Because the words from God in this book are that even though you're awful, even though you've done everything wrong, I'm still going to bring you back. I'm still going to deliver my promises to you. The Jews who are living in the centuries that follow have this reassurance that even though we're awful, even though we've done everything wrong, God is still faithful and still willing to work through us. He's he's still fulfilling the covenants that He had promised beforehand, the promises made to Abraham, the promises made through Moses, the promises made through David, they're all still intact because God is planning something amazing through His people. He's going to shake the heavens and the earth to bring about His will. And this little book stands as a huge source of encouragement saying... I am with you. And whenever we look throughout history, what's amazing is the glory of the Lord never fills the temple again, like Solomon and like Moses in the tabernacle. We never see the the smoke filling the temple or the tabernacle. It never happens. All the way until we get to 70 AD and the temple's destroyed, it never happens. God does add on to this temple. It goes from being just a bunch of brick and mortar to being a grand statement. I mean, Herod makes this into a huge temple that is bigger and more glorious than Solomon's temple. But the glory of the Lord never comes in to the temple as it had in the Old Testament. But when we get to the New Testament, what do we see? The New Testament reveals to us that God does come into his temple but it's in a more glorious way than we could ever have imagined he doesn't fill it with smoke so that we're not we're able to live you know that's kind of a way to disguise himself so that we don't die but he takes on human form and he comes from heaven down to earth and he himself comes into his temple to proclaim the good news of His kingdom's arrival and to teach the people and to heal the sick and to bless His people. God does this in the New Testament. And like I said, the temple's destroyed in 70 AD, so there was no other time when God filled the temple with His glory as He said He would. It has to be through Jesus. Jesus is the glory of God coming to the earth and into His temple. And He is the anointed Son of David that this text foretells. And He brings about the covenant that Jeremiah foretold, the new covenant that that allows for the forgiveness of people so that they can be holy and righteous and pure even though they are defiled. God is the one who is able to make us holy. And He shows that He is willing and desiring to do that in Haggai. Well, What's the message then for us? As we read through this book and we see all of these things being foretold, uh, we see all of these things starting to be fulfilled, we see some very important messages that, that we need to take to heart as we study this book. First of all, we see that God has worked through a flawed people to bring about His glorification. He's able to do that. He doesn't need a perfect people to work. He's able to work through us, even though we are uh, messed up and we make mistakes. He is able to make us holy and to accomplish His will, to spread His glory over all the earth. We also see a very encouraging message that His covenantal love is available to all of us. His faithfulness, His steadfastness, These people have rejected Him and rebelled against Him over and over again. They come back from 70 years of captivity. Do you think they learned their lesson? No, they didn't. And God is still faithful. And He still loves them and He still wants them. This is the God that we serve. A God who loves us. A God who is faithful to us. Even when we make mistakes and we fail miserably, He still loves us and wants us to get back on the right track. But to me, the most amazing message from this book is, this is a book to us. The whole book is a book to us. Haggai is, is brought in to tell the people, build my temple. That's what we're here for. That's, that's our whole purpose. That, that God has brought us out of captivity brought us into a state where we are given some freedom from sin and from all the destruction that Satan has brought us so that we can gather together, work together to build God's temple for His glory. And as Paul comes on the scene in Ephesians 2, he says, we are the temple. We're not building a a building so much is building each other. I mean, people use this text to help with building projects. We got a building project going on about to be, but that's not what this is about for us. We're here to build people. As Paul talks about the temple, he talks about it in a way that we are all the temple. The apostles, the prophets make up the foundation with Christ as cornerstone and we, as aliens and strangers, are allowed to be a part of this temple. And we're working to build on to it, to help others to be added to this temple, to strengthen all the parts of the temple that are weak, to build them up, to help them in all their messy lives, and all their struggles, and all their defilements, to become holy and Righteous and good. We're here to help facilitate that, to work on the lives that are around us. The question for us is do we want to build God's house? When we go back to the first of this book and we see the state of the people, you remember what they said? It's not the time to build the temple. It's not that time yet. You remember what God said about them? You're too busy. You've got too much going on. You're busying yourself, building your own houses. But here God is saying, Now's the time to build. Now is the time for us to build up the messy lives of those around us. When we read this and we study and we learn about all that these people are going through, the work is really hard work. And they're being threatened and they're afraid of the reactions of the people around them. And, And it would be so much easier for us to just build our own houses and to just focus on all these other things instead of building the Lord's temple. Helping others see the truth is is hard work. And, And there's so many other things that we would rather be doing than building up the messy lives of those around us. I mean, we see this, and we're 2,500 years later, and we see ourselves in these people, right? I mean, this is me. I can easily distract myself. I spent three and a half years remodeling a house, thinking I might live there forever and enjoy uh, the fruits of all my labors, right? We do this kind of thing. We, we distract ourselves with other things because the work is too hard. And we're afraid of what other people might say to us or about us or how it might mess up. Our lives. If we were to be involved in other people's lives and try to help them, but God is telling us in this book, be strong, do the work, and do not fear, and be different, be holy, be set apart for this work. And the most beautiful of all this text is, "I am with you." I'm with. You know, it's not easy to evangelize. It's not easy to bring up conversations that people really don't want to talk about. It's not easy to talk about problems or, you know, the messiness of our lives, but ultimately, why are we here? We're here to glorify God. We're here to be to his the praise of his glory. And He gave us all gifts and abilities that we might work on His temple and help add to it and strengthen it for His glory. He wants to help us. He's always with us. He's encouraging us through books like Haggai to do the work. This is the God that we serve. This is the way that God operates, that God desires for the fallen people who are all around us, who have messed up lives, to receive the grace that He offers and to become His children, to become a part of His temple that glorifies His name. That's why He sent His Son to seek and save that which is lost. And that's why He saved us from our captivity, that we might do the same thing. So whatever the distractions are, whatever the discouragements are, I hope this book encourages you like it encouraged me to focus in on the work that God has given us to do to glorify His name. Are you a part of the temple? Are you living your life to glorify Him? Have you put on Christ and received the forgiveness of your sins? Do you need to do that? Please, if you need to, please come forward as we stand and sing.